This is the Overclocked Podcast, a weekly dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we discuss the beauty of a well-composed melody with fellow podcaster and composer Will Brueggemann, reveal some secretive songs, and Hollywood it up with this week's playlist. It is episode 37 of the Overclocked Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me today is my brother and co-host, Steven. Greetings, Hello, Steven. Den- wait, oh, we, uh, wait, we forgot our code already. Okay, now I can oh, talk. No, I really thought that was going to be a one-episode joke that would <laughs> die afterwards, but, you know, we can keep it going, I guess. I'm a little disappointed in you, Brian, because you of all people should know that a joke isn't funny until you've done it too many times. But thanks, everyone, for joining us again for another episode of the Overclocked Podcast. It's good to see you all again. It absolutely is. I'm I'm looking into your faces, your adoring faces, and it fills me with warm, warm feelings. That's actually making me nervous. Let's move on. That actually is making me nervous. <laughs> Please stop staring yeah. at us. It's making me uncomfortable. But this is our movie-themed episode. We've got some really cool stuff. We have Will Brueggemann, aspiring film composer and current video game composer, mm-hmm. who's going to come on and talk about his composing Can't style. Can't you just and- see in the future... You, you go to the cinema, you have a great yes. time, and then at the end, the credits scroll, and it says William Brueggemann as the composer. You know, I, I can see it all too clearly right now. Yeah. I can see his adoring face already. His adoring face. <laughs> yes. I had a great chat with Will a few days ago, and we put that up there. Um, it's a pretty long interview, but it's also a really good interview. So cool. I highly recommend everyone stick around for that. And we'll be having a movie-themed playlist, because apparently uh, between the years like 1993 and 2008, a lot of movie games came out. Yes. It was a relic of the past. Yeah, exactly. And what's really fun is finding the ones that had original scores that would like mimic the property they were they were from. I think those are the ones that really stand out. I know <laughs> the Harry Potter ones did that a lot. Yeah. Some Star Wars games have done it. Um, often that would also lead to full orchestrations before games typically got that kind it of tricked people into thinking it would be worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because exactly. it was attached like, to a no, film we're license. professional. They already know how to play this music. Yes. Trust me. I'm not going to be asking them to play like a banjo with EDM bass in the background. Yeah. So. Grant Kirkhope. <laughs> so yeah, uh, anything before we jump into the remix rewind here? No, let's go right to it. Let's see what happened last week on Overclocked Remix. The Jazz Train continues from last week with Tamias222 bringing us his take on Kirby Dreamland 3, Kerbland, this time with 200% more fusion. Chill and inviting, this track manages to relax and engage the listener at the same time. Plus, I like to imagine Wispy Woods plays a mean fret bass. From the deep forests of Sweden comes Pure Heart, 
a tribute to childhood and mystery so subtle that you might get lost the first time through. Lost, but not forgotten. Frederick Hoffman's Secret of Mana-inspired piece of the Esther's Dreams album will be anything but. Kylock makes his OCR debut with Thick Jams. A Secret of Mana remix as textured as it is unexpected. Guitars, ukuleles, saxophones, vocals, trombones, and I'm pretty sure I hear a kitchen sink somewhere in there. If you're looking for some folk rock that experiments with a familiar melody, Kylock has you covered. Remixes and a whole lot more, head over to ocremix.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intune interview where we talk with composers about the music they compose. I am Brian, and joining me today is not my brother, but a different brother, Will <laughs> Brueggemann. Hello, Will. How are you doing? Hi, Brian. I'm uh, so glad to be back on the show. It really feels like it's been such a long time. Listeners, you may know Will from a lot of different things. As you can tell, you might have heard his brother Carl has been submitting the Root Note segments over the past few months. We've had them on as the Super Mark Hotter brothers several times. And they are a pair of brothers who create video game music and create video game tribute music, which we'll go into later, and also host a video game music podcast. So they have a lot of shared interests. There's a lot of reasons we love these So you can see why we'd all be friends. (laughs) Exactly. We met up at the last uh, MAGFest as well. Yeah, that was a really fun time. I I had so much fun getting to meet you guys because the cool thing about, um, you know, doing a podcast and just, I guess, the 21st century in general is that you can build these long-lasting friendships, relationships with people completely online. So it was the first time we met, but we were already friends. (laughs) So Will, for people who are less acquainted with you, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and who you are in the video game music scene. Yeah, well, like Brian said, my brother Carl and I co-host a video game music podcast uh, under the moniker Super Mercado Brothers. And after, you know, a few years of doing that, we started to use that name to compose original music ourselves for, you know, independent games and uh, created these tribute albums, which essentially we make our own soundtracks in the style of games that we love, you know, whether it's Super Mario Brothers or Sonic. Carl's really known for uh, his albums called Sonic-esque. I did something a couple of years ago called Child of the Chozo, which is this sort of comprehensive tribute album to the music of Metroid. What makes those 
I think unique is that they're not remixes of existing compositions. They're brand new pieces of music written in the style of uh, those phenomenal soundtracks that we love. So it, it's really a fun process. It's a learning experience to try to get inside the mind of those composers and study the musical style of, say, Koji Kondo and Kenji Yamamoto and people like that to understand what their musical expression is in a broad sense and not necessarily about uh, trying to imitate or, you know, mimic specific melodies or chord sequences or stuff like that. Yeah, I think the best way I heard it described, I think either you or Carl once said, it's like, imagine a world where these were the same composers with the same influences and with the same technological limitations, but they just composed a different soundtrack for the game. So you listen to like a Super Metroid soundtrack or a Super Mario World soundtrack. It could literally be the same as the game music, like all the samples and sounds are exactly the same, but the melodies and compositions are new. It's a really fascinating idea. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing we just did it. We didn't know if there would be an audience for it and if it's something that anyone would enjoy. It was just sort of, for whatever reason, it felt natural for us to want to do because I think there's so many games with entirely unique aesthetic qualities. You know, I can be listening to a piece from Super Metroid and know that it's only from Super Metroid. There's nothing else in the entire world that sounds like that. And I don't just mean those melodies and those chords, but just the musical aesthetics that are communicated. So I think it was sort of natural for us. You know, people often say about artists, you kind of create or whether it's music, you know, you compose what you want to hear. As a composer, I always kind of see myself as being a listener first. I write the kind of music Mm -hmm. that I want to hear more of. Um, And I think in terms when it comes to a lot of the video game music stuff, you know, it's just all about what I grew up with and the music that really spoke to me and uh, just wanting to challenge myself to be better as a composer so I can kind of uh, break down those soundtracks. And by creating something new, it simultaneously serves as uh, a means of, you know, paying tribute to what I love and really being a love letter to these composers who I idolize. Right. Yeah. I think it's an, it really speaks to the background you have with music and how you look at music and how you, well, remix or rearrange in this case, because some remixers come at it from like a production standpoint. They know electronic music really well, or they know how to mix and master music really well. So they take a song and then they just make it sound, you know, a thousand times better with modern technology. This is almost the opposite of that. You know, it's, it's trying to create some Something brand new that sounds like the old thing where I think a lot of remixes are about taking the existing thing and creating something new out of it where this is like the opposite. You're taking something new and creating something like old or something that sounds like it's already existed before. By explaining it, it almost sounds like, why would you want to do that? I Again, I can't explain it. It's just, it's really, to me, it seemed like the coolest thing in the world. Like if I could have found that on the internet, like I, I would have, you know, gone insane because it would have been exactly what I wanted. Like the idea of a lost NES soundtrack the idea of, you know, uncovering a new whole, I guess, album of Super Mario Brothers music. I mean, that would have meant so much to me. So even though, you know, we didn't really know if there'd be an audience and a lot of the stuff I do, you know, there's no guarantee that people are really listening. But I think it was just the idea that it interested me and also 
I think it really pushed me to do good work because it wasn't just at the end of the day, I wasn't making music with solely my identity attached to it. It was making music saying, this is what I love about, you know, Koji Kondo or, you know, Minami Matsumai or all these wonderful composers that the idea is sort of, uh, we have to step up to the challenge to try to hopefully match in some way what those great artists can do. I think it really speaks to your like background as a composer and analyzing music, going back to like little child will as you were growing up, you got <laughs> to music pretty early, right? I'm the youngest of four children and I'm the youngest by quite a bit. Uh, Carl, who's, you know, uh, another Marcado brother, uh, he's my next closest sibling and we have an eight year gap. And then Marty, who I'm also very close to, is a fabulous composer. He's 12 years older than I am. Our sister, uh, she's in between Carl and Marty, and she sings and stuff, but she was never really uh, into composing. But our whole family has always just been so musical. So there was almost no choice for me. As a kid, you just, you sang, you learned music. It was just what what we did. And I think... Martin was very influenced by our parents and their tastes, and they just happened to, it was really important to sort of instill in him, I guess, the idea of sort of being a renaissance man and the idea that uh, you could be good at all sorts of different disciplines. So I think growing up, it never felt like we were the music household. It felt like we were just like the entertainment household. Like we knew everything (laughs) about movies and music and video games and just like all anything entertainment, anything pop culture and media, for whatever reason, our family really consumed it. Um, So I just sort of grew up under that background and music was just a part of it. And I think as Carl and Marty really began to focus down on music as their principal pursuit, as what they were going to make their life's vocation. I just learned a lot by osmosis from hanging out with them and hearing them learn and talk about stuff. So it was just, I think, a really good sort of cesspool for my early I don't know, creative mind, if you want to call it. So I think my early attempts at music were, they were influenced by the music that I loved growing up. But a lot of that was really things that my brothers created. I mean, I remember when Carl was in college, uh, I used to just adore the bands he would play in and I would listen to their (laughs) CDs and I would try to figure out how to play their songs on the piano. And the same with Marty. I mean, I just adore, I mean, to this day, I still think he's a genius. Uh, And I'll, you know, I would figure out how to play his pieces on the piano the same that I would, you know, something by John Williams or Koji Kondo. So I I think that's the other thing that helped is when when the musicians you really like are in your family, that means you can learn from them. And that means uh, if there's something in a specific song that you really like and you really respond to, you know, I could just ask Marty, what are you doing there? What's that chord? What, why does this feel so satisfying? And uh, I, they both taught me a great deal. And so it's kind of surreal to me and this wonderful kind of joy that now that we're all old enough, we get to make music together as collaborators and peers is something I could have only dreamed of when I was a little kid. 
Yeah, that's so cool. And there's also a certain like, I don't necessarily want to say competitive because that often has a negative context right. to it. But I know growing up with my brother, we would see what the other created and be inspired to create something like that or, or totally. take it even a step further and then just pass ideas back and forth that way. It was like collaborative right. <laughs> and competitive at the same time. I, I think, uh, yeah, you, you couldn't have described it more accurately. I mean, I think temperamentally, uh, Carl and I are probably the most competitive with one another. Uh, it might just be our dispositions. Marty's always um, had a, a softer disposition and he's more nurturing. And uh, But yeah, I definitely think the idea of wanting to, if not one up the other person, um, feeling like you're on your toes by what someone else has created. And I know that we've all, all three of us have experienced that. I mean, I've had conversations with both my brothers where, you know, I'll do something that I'm happy with and they'll be like, that was so good that... Now I'm feeling doubt about what I'm working on. But I, see, the thing is, it's like, I almost feel like I was the first to experience that feeling because it was mm-hmm. all of my growing up of me thinking, oh, I could never be a musician. I'll never be a composer because look at my brothers. They're so talented. They're so great. <laughs> like, it's too late for me. And I was like 10, but <laughs> it it felt like it felt just hopeless to me. So it, it's, it's interesting. I, I But I do think that... That feeling for me, it must, it's not really about being great. I, it, at the end of the day, it's just about like fitting in. It was about feeling like I could kind of stand on the same level as my brothers. Um, and I imagine there's a part of that drive to just, you know, be like the big kids that's still uh, influencing what I do in some way. Yeah, I think it's always like there's always that next level you're looking at and be like, but can I be like them? Like maybe Marty. And then after that, it may be John Williams. And it's like, you know, there's always right. that next <laughs> that next rung to, to fit in. There's with. another there's another there's always a hero. You know, there's always people that you look up to that inspire you, that give you confidence, but also completely shatter it when you feel that you're coming close to understanding their greatness and then you'll discover something new or be reintroduced to uh, some classic work of theirs and just feel defeated. But it's that mixture of uh, love, reverence, and also jealousy that I think can really drive someone to be as good as they can be. And something that I've noticed, actually, you might think it's like a linear scale of like, well, then who does the best person look up to? But it's something, (laughs) especially interviewing musicians that I've noticed, I've literally had it happen where I interview one musician and he talks about another musician, like about how amazing they are at a certain thing. Like he just does the best synth solos ever. I can't do those. And then I talk to that other musician and he talks about literally the musician who had talked about him saying, I don't know how he makes orchestras sound so good. And it's like, they're both looking up to each other for different aspects of music. So like John Williams might be admiring, you know, Hans Zimmer who admires John Williams. They're just admiring each other for different aspects. They admire their differences. You know, I was having a conversation thinking about that, you know, John Williams, this great master of the orchestra, yet you know that there are people that because he's just such a humble man, you know, he'll always talk about people who are more talented than them. And I'm scratching my head, like, who is it? But I'm thinking it's like, who does John Williams get intimidated by? And I really don't think it's another orchestral master. I don't think it's another person with the understanding of, you know, classical symphonic writing. It probably is somebody like a Thomas Newman or, you know, Hans Zimmer, who's just yeah. doing something so completely different. Or like Eminem, John Williams, like, I can never rap like that. <laughs> How will I ever draw yeah. a fat beat? 
Well, I mean, we never know. We haven't heard him. He he could have this secret skill. That's actually a good point. <laughs> but here's a question, Will. So you had a extremely musical childhood. When did video game music enter that for you? And like, why did that become a big focal point? Video game music was there, honestly, right from the beginning. I've, I've told this story on the podcast before. But the first piece of music that ever made me cry was the end credits to Super Mario 64. Uh, and <laughs> I think it, it tells you what kind of person you're talking to, because, uh, most of the time I tell that story, people laugh and think I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I can tell him among friends when they go, yeah, oh, of course you would. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, staff roles, those are your thing. Staff roles. Yeah. Honestly, end credits. Oof. I, video game music doesn't get any better. I could just talk all day about the amazing staff roles. Um, but yeah, video game music was there from the beginning. I mean, there's footage of me uh, like three years old running around the house in a Superman costume and just singing, you know, Sonic and singing Slider from Super Mario 64. I, mean, <laughs> I loved video game music. The first CD I ever got was a mix CD that Carl made for me of video game music. And I would listen to it on car trips. So it's always been there. And I think before music was my big passion, as a kid, I think video games were my were my big focus. I mean, that's my parents, you know, would always try to encourage me to get out of the house and do sports and go outside and everything. But I think in my, <laughs> you know, deep down in my heart, what I really just wanted to do was play Nintendo games. And I, it was it was really an obsession. And I think what's cool, and I think one of the reasons I did love games so much is because of the music. Uh, the music really in any medium kind of communicates what nothing else can. It's really like the soul of it, the emotional center. And I think what really was appealing to me about games was that it was something that no one was focusing on. It didn't seem like the rest of culture was really looking at it. I mean, these are more profound thoughts than I think a little kid was thinking. But <laughs> just examining it now, I think is no one else was thinking of it as art and nobody else was looking at this music as music. They all just thought it was functional. And to me, I think that's the thing that so inspired me about those composers, someone like Koji Kondo, who to me is this unsung hero. I mean, everyone everywhere knows his music. The Super Mario Brothers theme is one of the most ubiquitous melodies in all of culture. I mean, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, and for decades, I mean, he was the sole composer on those titles. And it's just a staggering number of music and themes that he's written. But growing up, it seemed like nobody knew who any of these people were, you know. And I mean, even still to this day, uh, the average person can know the themes and won't know the name. You even know? the average gamer like i talk to people who know video games and a name drop koji kondo and they don't know who i'm talking about yeah they don't know uematsu they don't know yuzo kashiro it's crazy you get in these communities and you forget how insular it is even from people who love <laughs> video games like right yeah it's not that widespread i think another thing for me i don't know if this was you were in a more musical household so this might have not been true for you but for me, video games were introducing me to so many genres I wouldn't have heard otherwise as a kid. You know, that's such a good point. It's kind of this interesting phenomenon, and it's definitely not what the I think the designers were 
consciously intending. But I think I also noticed it, you know, watching childhood cartoons, you know, they'd be they'd be sending up some old movie cliche or they'd be trying to do something musically in the style of some old composer. And none of the kids watching the show or playing the game had actually seen that thing. Like they're making some reference of like Dirty Harry or something. I'd never seen Dirty Harry, but you're introduced to it first through a different medium. And yeah, I totally agree with you, Brian. That's kind of like what games were that kind of introduced you to a history of popular culture that you kind of were experiencing vicariously. Yeah, because they were having to be really innovative for a lot of different... It was a totally new medium, so there were no rules. It wasn't like film or something where, you know, soundtracks were fairly well established. They were figuring everything out on the go at that point period in time, so they were drawing from Latin, they were drawing from rock they were drawing from just every imaginable genre well and from each other it also seemed too like it was almost like uh, it created its own aesthetic its own sounds uh it's something that carl and i have talked about quite a bit on our podcast uh specifically with composers from japan this idea that there's this game composer culture in a video game music became its own genre, its own style. There are so many common threads, whether it's chord progressions, whether it's melodic kind of character, whether it's just the the general shape and rhythmic qualities of particular tunes that really seems like so much video game music of the 80s and 90s all exists within the same style. You almost can't describe it, but you can tell, you know, when you hear another piece of music from a different genre and it just feels like, oh, that sounds like video game music or it's video gamey. And nowadays that you can essentially have film composers work in games and you can have anything from you know, retro sounding things like something that Jake Kaufman would do, or, you know, you have Hans Zimmer working on games. It, it, it really kind of, uh, that clarity of what game music is as its own style is not so much there anymore um but it's something that's still fascinating to me absolutely i think another thing from what i know of your style that a connection i would draw from video game music to you and it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing for me because i don't know if video games made that you love this or if you love this unless you love video game music but it's the complete focus on melody especially back in right. the 80s and 90s but that's a huge part of your composition style too right yeah i mean you got me melody is what it's really all about for me and i i yeah i i don't know i don't know what came first again i think the best thing i can do is just point to my brothers uh and their influence on not only my own personal musical style and my taste but my philosophies as to how to approach music. I mean, it really came from so many conversations with Marty and Carl talking about what's so great about a particular melody or examining two pieces of music and saying like, you know, it was so much better when it was melodic, whether we're talking about, you know, old and new film music and where are the themes and, you know, talking about old and new video game music and why the reason we love those retro game soundtracks is because they're so thematic but it really became my life's obsession like melody is my main love even before music i still am continuously you know just in awe and wonder of a great melody no matter where it's from and i think that's the the thing that i love about it is there's music is so subjective but in my mind i don't know a great melody is as close as it comes to 
being objective because it makes you feel a certain way and it has a certain character and you can analyze it and you can describe why it is that way. But it just is. The thing that I obsess over the most is the melody, just getting that um, to be as good as I, I think it can be. And it really is sort of the driving force of what I do, whether it's um, something that's orchestral or whether it's a chiptune soundtrack or whether it's a song. Uh, I really just care about having a, a, a good melody. Sometimes, I mean, other composers might think to my own detriment because I think there's certain subtleties that a lot of composers have that comes out of melodic restraint, that they don't feel that they're always trying to have, you know, a tune in there. And I, I don't think I've ever really been in the situation where that's specifically been asked of me. Um, but it's definitely not something that I choose to do. I almost always, no matter what I'm doing, even if I'm trying to make it sound intentionally minimal and modern, I, I always have a theme. I always have a melody just because that's what interests me. And a music that doesn't have it, I, I tend to get bored quickly. So we'll, we'll see where that takes me. And hopefully as I grow and develop that, uh, I, I can gain more of an appreciation for letting the other aspects of music, just rhythm and harmony sort of carry itself without the need for some kind of hooky theme. But as it stands right now, yeah, melody is, is king for me. It's my, my all time favorite composers, Koji Kondo, John Williams, Tchaikovsky, Paul McCartney, uh, anybody like that. It's it's really about the melodies are why I love them. Melody is like dialogue in a film or a TV show where it's what you're going to quote. It's what creates the characters. It's what kind of creates the through line. You can have a movie without dialogue that's incredibly visual and poetic and artistic and create mood. But you're not going to remember the story. You're not going to remember the characters the same that you are with dialogue. Well, right. In the same way that you said you can't quote it. I mean, uh, Brian, I think that's a brilliant analogy. Uh, and yeah, kudos to you for thinking that up. I think that's that really sums up my feeling on it. Yeah. I mean, you can you can have an emotional experience with a silent film um, and may, maybe sometimes the most powerful moments are completely just visual or, you know, in the case of film, when the music really gets to sing. But yeah, I mean, the dialogue is what you're going to be quoting. It's a catchy turn of phrase that I think can make something timeless. When we think of the classic American films that are still with us today, it's because we're still quoting us. You know, like I, I saw a poster the other day that said, well, do you punk? And you see that on all kinds of t-shirts and so many people that may not have ever even seen that film, but they can quote that line as much as you may be a fan of the score or the cinematography or even the performance. It's like when it comes down to it, it's like that, that script, that dialogue is what makes something timeless. And I think that's sort of my obsession with melody because as humans, the way we remember music is monophonically, which means, you know, one note at a time. That's why we're so attracted to melody because we can sing, we can sing a melody where you can't really sing a harmony. You can't sing a chord. You can't, it's just not possible or it's not intuitive. Yeah, I totally agree. And you speak about melodies being uh, timeless. And one last thing that popped in my head about that was when you listen to music from different eras, almost always what people point out as cheesy or dated are the production values or the lyrics or 
or something like that. It's the melody is almost always the thing that retains it despite the platform it's being played on. You can play a melody on, you know, an 8-bit channel or you can play a melody with an orchestra and it retains its strength on either of those. Well, a melody is almost like an ancient language. I mean, you ever listen to like Latin or Sanskrit and feel like just the qualities of the words themselves almost like shake the foundations of the earth. Like they're so pure, they're tapped into almost like a spiritual energy. That's what I feel like a melody is. It, it, It's never going to date itself if it's doing its job you know where you're totally right from year to year we may listen to a production sound and think it sounds cliche or cheesy or words you know lyrics we may have a different cadence or different vocabulary and find that something doesn't hold up anymore but a good melody will will always be because it is so unspecific and it's communicating to us directly through an emotional line. So we've covered your composition style. Before we close out the interview, why don't we run uh, run through some of the stuff you've created with this and kind of where that came from. So you mentioned tribute albums. You did some of these with Carl and some on your uh, on your own, correct? Yeah. So uh, the first one we did is called Of Cosmic Proportions, and it's a tribute to uh, the Super Mario Galaxy games. It's still one of my favorite uh, series of games when it comes to uh, music because it takes sort of the harmonic qualities, the melodic qualities of, to me, classic Mario music, but it delivers them through the medium of orchestra, which to me, I, I just have a love affair with the orchestra. I love it as a means of telling a story. I mean, it's it's this precious sort of sacred time tested entity that is sort of handed down to us from generations and so what I so loved about that soundtrack is getting to hear to me the musical vocabulary of Koji Kondo through the vehicle of an orchestra it was like it was like heaven it's like what I dreamed of as a kid so I think uh, we were so inspired by both the Mario Galaxy soundtracks that's really what started this whole thing of tribute albums was the idea of wanting to as john williams says when he's you know writing more music for star wars it's like adding paragraphs to the end of a letter that's kind of how we felt as if let's say there's making a mario galaxy 3 and we're making the soundtrack for it
that's kind of how we approached it. And we've done tons of other things. We did an F-Zero album called Zero G. I've done multiple on my own Mario albums. I, I did something called Songs from Beyond the Warp Zone. And then I did something called uh, Dear Mario, which is specifically sort of uh, paying tribute to the music of Super Mario Brothers 3 in particular. Um, uh, I've also... I did an album called Child of the Chozo that I think I mentioned before, which is um, a tribute to Metroid. And it's it's done sort of as a comprehensive thing, trying to um, capture the sounds of not just one game, but the whole series. So it starts off the first like third of the album is all 8-bit and, you know, sequenced on Famitracker and done the same way that I've done other NES stuff. And the second chunk of it is all Super Nintendo and is really kind of influenced by Super Metroid. And the last chunk of it is trying to sound like the Metroid Prime games. And what was exciting to me is the idea that could I, as one person, create the effect of almost not just one game, but an entire series of games and have themes that carry over from title to title. And again, it's so... It's really living in your imagination, but it it was almost, it's like the extension of playing toys as a kid, you know, playing (laughs) with Star Wars figures and creating new stories with Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. That's what it kind of felt like. It's like, I loved the Metroid games. It it, it almost felt like I got to take a step inside of Mm -hmm. them by doing that. Yeah, I would love to do a whole episode on that one sometime, a whole interview on Child of the Chozo, because that was such a cool project and I think stands out from a lot of like chip tuned video game, not only because it's uh, original music, but because people don't typically take like the GameCube era and make music based <laughs> on that. Like people don't go there. They always go SNES right. or Genesis or NES or something like that because they have such distinct specific sounds. By the time you got to the GameCube, you're working a lot of general MIDI and that sort of stuff. Well, and it was very well. Well, thanks, but I, I think the thing is because it's so difficult, and we're too close to it. You know, it's like now it's starting to become popular to do like disco again and popular music and do stuff that sounds like that. And pretty soon we're gonna get more synthy, and it's gonna be okay to do like a retro throwback to '80s stuff. Um, but you know no one's sending up the early 2000s because we're just too close to it. It hasn't codified in our memory as a specific thing. And so that's the other thing that was really curious to me is like the Metroid Prime games are among my favorite video games. Um, But could I really, is there enough in the soundtrack that people would identify as quaint and charming if I were to recreate it? And again, it was like, I didn't know the results of it, but that ended up being my favorite part of the album. I mean, trying to get the right general MIDI piano sound. I mean, for most of the time when you're a composer, at least for me, I'm trying to make get the most realistic result. I'm trying to make it sound like an orchestra. I'm trying to get the mm-hmm. performance just right. But this was this funny spot of trying to get it to sound fake enough. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> dang it, all of my instruments are too good. They don't sound... Yeah, yeah. You can hear the sound of the hammer against the strings. Not, I don't yeah. want it. I want it to sound just like <laughs> one note sample that's being pitched up and down. It's a weird thing, um, but I got a, a tremendous high off of doing it just because again it's like it it made me appreciate those soundtracks all the more and music that i would maybe 
um, dismiss as being weird or atmospheric or boring or whatever, uh, I really gained an appreciation for how thoughtfully it was composed. And honestly, with the Metroid series, how consistent an identity it has from title to title and how atmospheric Hiptonaka was able to make the original uh, NES Metroid and how sophisticated Super Metroid sounds and how they all kind of have this linkage and it feels very specific and unique. It's something that it's like, as good as my album is, it owes so much to those people. I could never claim full responsibility because it almost seems like the roadmap has already been laid out. So now that you've finished up the tribute albums, what what have you all been up to, or specifically you, what have you been up to making since then? Recently, what I've been getting some joy out of uh, is I just launched uh, my own website, williambmusic.com, which is sort of a place where um, you can find, you know, recordings of a lot of different music I've done. Uh, but the big uh, reason why I wanted to do it um, was a place to have all of my sheet music, all of the scores for different like concert pieces that I've done in one place. And uh, I think the thing that was important to me when creating the website is to kind of still have the identity of someone who uh, is associated with game music. So on my uh, original music page, which is just a SoundCloud embed that has a bunch of stuff that I've done, uh, it was important to me to not just show off, you know, choral music and orchestral and chamber music, but, you know, to show off chip tunes and to show off, you know, maybe lighter things that I've done for independent games, because I, it's really like a value of mine that that stuff has equal worth to just because it may not be taken as seriously culturally. I, I know as a composer that some of that stuff I'm much more proud of because it either took more work or I, I have more of an emotional connection to it. So I, I think I'll probably, <laughs> until I'm dead, I'm always going to be <laughs> an ambassador for game music and, yeah. you know, the stuff that I love. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so you have your newest album up there as well, which is not video game, but it is, of course, I'm sure influenced by that in its own way, Axiom. And that's a collection of your symphonic and chamber music. Was that like stuff yeah. you're writing for school or did you write this That's, all independently? Uh, it's a mixture of things, but to me, I mean, Axiom, I made just to sort of commemorate the launch of the website, but yeah. it ended up being uh, its own entity that um, I may be, you know, more proud of than the site itself. <laughs> and it's sort of, it's, uh, it's to Hollywood film music what a lot of our, not tribute albums, but just like a lot of our oh, yeah. video game music is. To me, it's kind of... Uh, it's just a celebration of the kind of old Hollywood music tradition. And I think every piece on there, um, there it's very sort of eclectic. So everything is different, but there's some stuff you might listen to that maybe it sounds like it's from like a nineties comedy film. And it may be mm -hmm. like, what does that sound like? But when you hear it, you'll be like, Oh, that is sort of whimsical light orchestra music and yeah. then you'll hear something that's very ostinato driven and maybe that sounds more contemporary and you'll hear something very flourishy that might sound like something hopefully from a john williams score so it's kind of uh, a collection of different pieces that i happen to have written throughout high school and college um 
uh, and also some new things that were written for the purposes of the album. But it was, yeah, it was just a nice way for me to collect, you know, some of the stuff uh, were pieces that uh, I've actually had performed by real orchestras and things that I've done initially for school. Um, so it, in some of the stuff were actual uh, independent film scores that I've done. Um, so it, it was just a, right. a, a collection of uh, symphonic and chamber music written in kind of a, a Hollywood style. And that's great with a website uh, launch because it's almost like a portfolio or sampling of different stuff you can do all packed into one album. Yeah, that's um, kind of what I thought is that I, I wanted to make it something that uh, the experience of a listener would be like, oh, wow, I hope this guy is, you know, working in movies uh -huh. uh, because that's ultimately what I really want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I I encourage everyone to check out williambmusic.com and then head over. We'll have a link in the show note as well. Head over to the music page and you can pick up Axiom, Child of the Chozo, D Mario, and also head over to Super Mercado Bros and find the rest of their music there. There's a lot of it. There are like 20 albums on that site or something, maybe more. Right. Yeah, you guys more than two, almost 30. It's, it's crazy. So I, I cool. can't believe it's happened. Uh, but it was kind of fun. Carl and I both launched uh, websites on yeah. the same day and we both I I kind of had the idea of like what if we each release an album on the day that the websites come out to commemorate it and so just to kind of show the differences of our style I did like an orchestral album and Carl did this uh fusion synth album called Back in Orbit and I think they're both they both have a lot of elements of video game music in them, but they're just, they're also so different. It kind of shows what's different about us. Shows your styles really well. And yeah, Steven's actually going to have an interview with Carl as well, either in the episode right before this one or right after. So if you, if any listener wants to hear his perspective, um, hear more about Groove, then check out the episode with Carl and you can get all those details. So I love all this, again, brother-to-brother cross-pollination. It's great. <laughs> all right, Will. Well, thanks so much for your time. That was awesome. And for... I mean, we didn't talk about it much because we kind of mentioned it before. But yeah, Super Marcotter Brothers, if anyone's looking for another video game music podcast, can't recommend one more. If you want to hear people analyze... Basically, imagine it's the playlist segment from this show, except in between each song, you get people analyzing the music from a composing background. You get Carl and Will every week doing that. And it's... Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Will. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And we're going to head back to the show. And we're back. Goodbye, Will. Hello, me. 
No, oh, it's such a terrible replacement. Yeah, it's kind of a downgrade. I understand. It's just I had such intelligent conversation going on, and now I'm just going to babble incoherently. And it's okay. It's not as much you as I'm just like in a way worse mood than when I was interviewing Will originally. That makes me feel better. And if you just enjoyed that interview, I can give you a uh, a secret spoiler um, that I'm going to be talking with Carl, uh, which is Will's brother. Um, yeah, we mentioned him several times. In the very near future. So we're going to get the complete Brueggemann story right. before the end. Of course, I guess we need Marty for that. Yeah. Oh, we should do an interview with Marty. Oh, but then both of us are there. And both of us are there <laughs> for the Marty interview. All right. That's awesome. Well, for something that's also awesome, Stephen, it's time for the secret songs. That remains to be seen, but I'm on board. I want to start with yours because when you came up with the idea, you were just <laughs> laughing helplessly. So I don't know. Okay. What to expect here. So, are you ready to go? I am ready Are you to ready go. for this? Okay. So, the secret songs is the section of the show where we try to surprise each other with new music or old music that possibly the other person hasn't heard. Um, or in my case, just for a good chuckle. So, here we go. Three, two, one. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I was literally going to use this as my <laughs> secret song. And now I'm so disappointed that I did it. <laughs> if you had done what it. What if we had both chosen it? Oh, all right. Let, this, let's listen to it for a bit. Okay. So, listeners, I'm very curious if any of you have any idea what this is from, because I knew from the first three notes what this yeah, was from. Yeah, it took him literally seconds. If that, it probably only took you a split second, and your mind and mouth just had to catch up before you knew what it yeah. was. Well, it starts with, you know, the most the amazing beep, part beep, ever. Beep, beep, yes. beep, beep. So, this is from Spider-Man 2. Yes, Spider-Man 2, which we have played on the PlayStation 2. Yes, and it's a song that plays... So I remember it being during a really annoying section of the game where you're fighting Dr. Octopus, and there's a... His machine goes all wrong. Oh, sorry, you're not fighting Dr. Octopus yet. It's when Dr. Octopus's experiment goes terribly yes. wrong, and his generator's going crazy. But in the game, it starts pulsing, like, in and out. There's, like, this big sphere of energy from the machine pulsing in and out, and you're trying to make it through the room while avoiding that. And it was the worst sequence mm -hmm. one of the worst sequences i've ever you played play, you play as a character who's designed for great open spaces in, in a small laboratory room. and it seemed completely erratic and random when that thing would i mean i don't know if i was just young and really bad at judging timing but I, oh my gosh i don't know. it was the worst so and this is the song that played and we just it became a running joke for us we would always recall this melody and have terrible memories well it became so. a running joke not just because it was a you know a a hilariously terrible memory yeah. but because to this day at any moment we can remember it like so i guess that's the sign of a good i melody. guess so <laughs> no it's really not a very good song it really isn't so i mean I'm, but man i wouldn't it just be so hilarious if we clicked up my link and it was the same thing <laughs> it'd be pretty good i'm so sad i didn't choose that but yeah i'm glad he chose us for the playlist or the uh secret song instead of the playlist because it would have had no context yeah we had to give the story behind it i don't actually yeah. recommend it so that's not a great song i don't know if that was entertaining for anyone but me but i appreciated that <laughs> well i i only included it for you the secret songs is for you brian not the for thing everyone that we, else that we realized through this whole episode is that we don't watch very many movies yeah. and thus don't have that much context for movie games either and 
It's pretty limited. It's like Star Wars. I try to do something from Lord of the Rings, Battle for Middle Earth, and Steven's like, that's not movie. Based that's on mostly the based on a book. <laughs> that so, doesn't count. Yeah. Anyway, now we'll jump into my song, which is not Lord of the Rings. Um, it is a different song. So are you ready? I'm ready. One, two, three. This is a lot better than my song. Well, naturally, my instinct is to say this must be some sort of Lord of the Rings game. No, it's Battle for Middle Earth 2. <laughs> no, it is not. You are correct, though. It is better than yours. Ha <laughs> um, Terminator 2? <laughs> How did you know? No, I truly have no clue. Not. I'm going to look now. Harry Potter! Harry, Harry Potter on the Deathly Hollows! Yes. Well, it I clearly from... had no chance of knowing that because no. I've seen, like, one Harry Potter movie in my life. Yeah. And, and played none of the games. Music, I, so I don't know if this song is original. I believe the entire soundtrack is original. Um, and this is composed by James Hannigan, who does quite a few different movie games, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he also did the soundtrack for Aragorn's Quest, another game I considered. Oh, that has good music. Yeah, it actually does. Um, but this, I was, I actually like this more than anything Harry Potter I have heard. Yeah, it's really stately and subtle. Yeah, I really, really liked it. So Quite lovely. I was impressed in my mad rush Yeah, especially here near the end, it's uh, a little bit rousing. Yeah. It's like uh, you remember the heroic days when you cast Alakazamomorph. No, it's, um... Oh, that's not it, but I can't remember. There's a really famous one. Voldemort? That... <laughs> Did you just say Voldemort? Yeah. Is that Voldemort's full name? I don't know. Oh I just did it for comedic effect. All right, before we embarrass ourselves further about our complete lack, this of is why Harry we Potter don't host a, a movie music podcast. Um, we're gonna we're gonna move on here. You know, I actually need to look this up. Harry Potter spell. What's the one I'm thinking of? What is the one I'm thinking of? Famous Harry Potter spell. It is. It's the one for ah. There we are. Leviosa. Le Leviosa. 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 Because it's for levitating. It's Wingardium Leviosa. And suddenly, we start floating into a different segment. Yeah, the smooth transition. Like this, this, like that, like, like that, that. I like it, I like it! <laughs> okay, well, if you want to hear um, more of this in complete madness, you can find us uh, at, at Twitter at OCR Podcast. You can find us on email at podcast at ocremix.org. If you want to learn more about Overclocked Remix in general, go to www.ocremix.org. There you can hear all kinds of remixes, hang out on the forums, and have a good old time. And one last thank you to Will for the interview. It was such a pleasure talking to him, and I hope you all enjoyed his interview. Yeah, and uh, just as a note, uh, again, Sin did not write any of the... Um, Remix Rewinds this week, we were on our own, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We miss you, Sin. Please stop working so much so you can do free work for us. Oh, <laughs> uh, we are selfish. Okay, well, but seriously, thanks to both Sin for his Absolutely. password and Will. Um, and yeah. future Carl, who we're going to talk to soon. 
I love future Carl. He's the best. Well, it is time to move into this week's playlist. Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is... Movie Music! Hail to Mr. Oogie! From Oogie's Revenge and submitted by Zachary. is overdue. You've instigated chaos here and turned this town onto its ear. Well, to Mr. Oogie, put Jack to the test. Keep him guessing all the time, never let him rest. Then Mr. Oogie Boogeyman can take the whole town over then. He'll be so pleased, I do declare. The whole world should beware. Think now all this danger isn't fun and games. When this town is back to normal, do you really want the blame? Hail to Mr. Oogie, this is so much fun. We make mischief day and night, our work is never done. If I've told you once, I've told you twice to straighten out your act. You'll never get away with this and that, you brats is fact. I've had enough of this disgrace. Ventilation Shafts, from Gremlins 2, and submitted by Jean-Marc. Antenna Cradle from GoldenEye 007 and submitted by Square Evil.
Rib Rock from Disney's Aladdin and submitted by Phoenix Down. Nightmare World from Little Nemo Dream Master and submitted by Mike. from Rambo First Blood Part 2 and submitted by Tim. fight from Indiana Jones in the Emperor's Tomb and submitted by me.
Imperial Ahead B from Star Wars Battlefront 2015 and submitted by me. been listening to the overclocked podcast next week's playlist is acoustic guitar you know the instrument to submit your suggestions or just say hi hit us up on twitter at ocr podcast email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org this week's lyrical wisdom hail to mr uki Put Jack to the test. Keep him guessing all the time. Never let him rest. <laughs>